dangerously close. My guest today is D. Elliot Woods. Elliot became a staple in the Star Trek franchise universe amongst his many other on-camera credits, but more recently he shifted his creative talents into writing and narrating the intense suspense thriller book-slash-audiobook Rise of the Unicorn. Creatively, Woods is best known for his talents as an actor and filmmaker in Hollywood. He has emerged on screen as both human and alien characters in several projects in the Star Trek franchise, as well as roles on SWAT, NCIS, L.A., Ballers, Hot in Cleveland, Friends, Drake and Josh, and appearances in over 100 commercials for major brands. As a creator, Woods writes, produces, and directs his projects under his Fly Free Entertainment production banner, including the 2020 psychological thriller short film Life and Lemons, calling attention to domestic violence. What's up, Elliot? Man, how you doing this morning? Well, okay, first of all, I want to bring up like what I said I was going to. Uh -oh. I have I have a brand new office chair and you have a brand new office chair. So I think we're both like I think that this is might be one of the best interviews that's ever happened on this podcast. Because you know, at least if nothing else, I may suck as an interviewee, but I know we'll both be comfortable, and that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> well, people don't realize that I was actually uh, sitting slightly uncomfortably uh, in some of my past interviews, and now I look at me. I'm just, and this is this is an audio only podcast. Nobody can see what I'm doing, but I'm just flowing free, man. Feel like yeah, I was gonna say you look like a whole new person. <laughs> I'm on a cloud, man. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I had to get one too because my my old chair wasn't supporting my my hips very well. Yeah, and so I, I when I got in this chair, it was like, yeah, oh, this is home. So yeah. believe me, I understand. Yeah, this one's a uh, really support like supports my back, and like I'm always hurting my back because I fall a lot. You know, I do a lot of like. I'll, I do a lot of shit for like for some of my age, you know, it's, you know, like I skateboard and stuff like that. So I'm always busting oh, you're my that ass, dude. Okay, I, I am that dude. Okay. <laughs> so, right. so I need, you know, I need back support. So anyway, everyone at home, I just want to let you know our chairs are comfortable. And Elliot, I want to tell you, man, um, I've been listening to the audiobook version of your book, Rise of the Unicorn, and I you just want to say, oh, very cool. Yes, I have, and I just want to say a few things before we kind of get started on, on what we're talking about. But okay, and uh, first of all, I want to say the story got me hooked immediately. Like chapter one, I was like, I'm in the okay. I want to know how this ends. Where's this going? You know, just like that. I love right, the character. Right. I love the characters. I love the suspense. Um, and normally, like for how I do books, like I kind of prefer like my fiction books. I like to just like read a hard copy, like in my hands. That's how I do fiction. Right. And and I kind of prefer to like for audiobooks, I'm more of a nonfiction. Like that's where I do uh I listen to more nonfiction than audiobooks. Gotcha. But uh the like for your in your audiobook, man, uh the voice acting is excellent. And uh I kind of feel like I'd be missing out if I wasn't listening to the audiobook, and I truly mean that. I feel like I'm getting an extra uh, whole element by um doing an audiobook version of fiction, which is not the most common way I listen to fiction. Doug, man, I saw one. I really appreciate that because that's a surprise. Usually people, they may know about the book or something, but, but wow, to actually have done that. But I got to tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done because yeah. you know how life works. It's like you have plans and get, and and God laughs. I literally had <laughs> 10 of my actor friends lined up and I had rented a studio not too far from my house. Uh, and then we kept running into scheduling problems where eight people could come, but not the other two and yeah. so on and so forth. But long story short, I, I one day it hit me because this happened like seriously, like eight times where I had to cancel the recording sessions. And then it hit me one day that I, in order to get this done, I was going to have to do it myself. And so that's what I ended up doing. I, I've got a, a booth, you know, here at the house and it, but it's a small one. And it was like, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. So I ended up doing 55 different characters for this book. Yeah. It's, ama um, it's amazing. I, I, and I, and I, the thing is like, like a psychopath, I, I, I was well, listening to it and I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe, you know, this is all one guy. <laughs> I, one, one guy with severe issues, man. Yeah. I, that, that part was cool. 
I, and I promise not to uh, do any spoilers, uh, but I do want to like bring it because you kind of kick it off, and now and this then I this is it's not a spoiler because it's kind of just how the book starts. But it's yeah, a yeah. it's a hostage negotiation, and you're doing the voice of like Gus, the uh, the hostage negotiator, right? But then but then at the same time you're doing the voice. It's a domestic dispute. You're doing the voice of the of the husband and the wife, and it's I mean uh, masterfully done i man, i was thank you it's the kind of thing honestly man i i think you take uh you know you're an average 100 voice actors professionals and put them in that situation and say make this work and i don't think right. I, you know, I think i think 90 people couldn't do it maybe 10 could you know like that's man thank you that was um, it was a hell of a first uh swing at the plate uh but i i'd also have to give a shout out to my man my dear friend uh nicole j butler she did play uh the uh Commissioner uh, Evelyn Kennedy. She oh, did yeah. that role for me because I realized that that particular character needed her own distinctive voice yes. that you yeah. could count on. But uh, the rest of it uh, was me. And I was scared to death until yeah. I got to about chapter three. And then I was like, all right, let's get, <laughs> let's get comfortable here. And, yeah, she was fantastic as well. I want to shout out just one more character. Uh, top of the time ahead, I can't think of his name. Uh, he's an elderly gentleman. He's in a bank uh, talking Patrick to Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry. Uh, yeah. Man, so well done. So like, yeah, he was kind of clearly like kind of a ladies man in his day. He, now he's a much older man. Uh, and you just you nailed that on the head, man. I was like, I was like, this guy feels real. This voice feels real. And so uh, anyway, man, uh, you know what? No, thank you. <laughs> no, really. Thank you. That was a, you know, gave, gave me goosebumps. That's but, a great thing right after Thanksgiving. Hell yeah! Oh yeah! And uh, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, man. I, I guess uh, this won't be coming out for like a week, so Thanksgiving will be a, a distant memory to everyone in you know a few days. But <laughs> well, they started the Christmas music like you know uh, September first, so no yeah. biggie. Mariah yeah. Carey has arrived. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she is sitting on your shoulder now. So um, before we get into the book any further, uh, which I do want to do, um, sure. I get, you know, obviously I, I do have to ask this because you are a part of the Star Trek universe and yes, sir. Uh, you know what, and, and the philosophy of Star Trek is starting mm -hmm. to become a recurring theme on this podcast. Um, I had a Vulcan uh, on a while back and I had a professor and a journalist that were on the show for completely different subjects. They both used Star Trek as analogies to get their point across. That so was like to them, it seemed like, oh, well, let me explain it to you through Star Trek. And I think people do that often. Um, yeah, but so I just what I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, since you know you've been on, you've been on Star Trek in you know in more than more than one character, more than one uh, iteration. You did uh, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, uh, the film Insurrection, I believe. Yes, sir. Sure and, did. Uh, mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask, like, uh, how do you feel about Star Trek? You know, how do you feel about like what it means? What you know, what's it? Uh, you know, what's its purpose? You know, other you know besides just entertainment and. Were you interested in it before you became a part of it? I was interested in it uh, as a kid. I have a, a well, a cousin that we used to play together all the time, and we would sit up and watch these old episodes with uh, James Kirk and 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 Spock and 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 McCoy and everybody. Um, and that was actually the first time that I ever said out loud, "I want to be on TV." But I, what was funny is I specifically said, "Man, I wish I could be on Star Trek." Yeah, <laughs> um, and so that that was planted early, um, and then it was the damnedest thing when I went, you know, get get out to Hollywood a thousand years later, and I think the yeah the first one was uh, Deep Space Nine. I honestly couldn't believe I was on the set. I really yeah. couldn't. And yeah. I was uh, playing a um, oh good grief, what is what is war for Klingon? Yeah. Um, so I was a Klingon officer on that, and that's the only episode or uh, Star Trek project that I ever got killed on. Uh, but it was so funny to me because, you know, I've got a reasonably deep voice. Yours is deeper. So maybe you should consider Star Trek. But one of the things about Klingons is that they generally have, you know, fairly deep voices. So you take your register down to here. Yeah. And what was funny <laughs> is all my scenes were either with um, um, Michael, Michael Dorn, who played Worf, and or uh, Tony Todd, who plays his brother Kern, but he's also well, very well known for playing the role of Candyman. 
But he's got oh, this, yeah. both of them just have these really resonant, deep voices. And then there's me. And I just, uh, when we were rehearsing, I kept I, I kept laughing because <laughs> <laughs> I sounded like I was in third grade compared to those guys. It was just hilarious. But um, I love the Star Trek uh, themes. And to be honest with you, even though it's done in, you know, quote, uh, civilian real life uh, for Rise of the Unicorn, a lot of the principles from Star Trek are in the book, if that makes sense, in terms of how we should treat one another as humans. Yes. Um, uh, and and people that come from different backgrounds and so on and so forth. I mean, all of that stuff is weaved in there. Yeah, because I wanted to kind of uh, go back to this thing that this guy had said to me. Uh, he, he had come on the podcast to talk about Dune. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, and what it was was uh, fascist co like hate groups co opting the the books of Dune and the movies and all that stuff to uh it's a like a recruitment tool to get people into like kind of like a into hate groups and yes a, and a lot of sci- science fiction is used that way it's what's it's, it's I had no, no idea about this until I read um, one of his articles and so I was so fascinated by it I was like well I need to know more about this because I'm such a huge sci fi fan that I was like you know, I can't believe these things that I love so much are being co-opted in this way, you know, and um, a fascinating thing that came out of that, something I, I was unaware of, but now in retrospect seems so obvious is that these groups hate Star Trek, hate it, hate it, hate yeah. it, because it yeah. can't, it's so inherently uh, like inclusive and yeah, in, it, the message is so clearly like, let's, you know, live like, let's, uh, explore you know new life new civilizations let's you know all humanity and let's do it together yeah. and and not you know uh what's the classic episode with uh frank uh gorshin where uh he yes yes the the, the split the, the way he's black on one side white on the other and the other one is white on the other side and black on the other but it's opposite yes it's man i i wish we could get that as a species it, you know but we're still working on it, but man, those principles hold up, and I honestly try to live by it. To people that are unfamiliar uh, with uh, what Elliot just brought up, that's from that's like the 1960s. That's uh, that's an old one, yeah. That's, that's James T. Kirk, and it, it it is yeah. I love that you brought that one up because what it when you watch it, you know, you're, you're sitting at home on TV, and to us, we're like, this is absurd that these people uh, hate each other based on. Uh, which side of their face is like has the line on it, you know? It, but no, we live in a in, we live in a society where people are acting like that all the time, and so every day, yeah, yeah. So I do, I, I do love Star Trek for that. That's the, the the you know like that everything's kind of a it's an exploration and it's a science mission, and we're all supposed to be doing it together. And it's yeah. all on a, it's all you know yeah. There's action and there's photon torpedoes, but it's a mission of peace generally. Uh, for, yeah, for the most part, and of course. For James Kirk to get women. I mean, clearly <laughs> that was part of the directive because dude was cleaning up the galaxy by himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mongering. Player for life. <laughs> St- still and oh man, uh, you know, he's William Shatner's still out here kicking and just he's still he's still funny. I saw him uh recently. He was on a reality TV show. I only watched it because uh I knew he was a part of it. And yeah. he's still funny as hell, man. What is he, he like? Is. He's almost a hundred years old, something like that, and he's just funny. He's a good dude. He's full of energy. I yeah. I actually had the the great fortune of working with him on. Uh, you remember the show Boston Legal? Yeah. Uh, the, I did a guest star on on that show, and obviously I wasn't around for the original Star Trek thing, but it was a trip being in scenes with James T. Kirk. You know, yeah. I actually had to wrap my mind around it. Uh, but he was just. He was such a giving guy. And, I, you know, you never know how people are going to, you know, be in your your people that you idolize or that you've known for a thousand years yeah. because of their work. And he was such a giving or is such a giving person. Um, I, and I'll never forget that, you know, usually what happens when you, you know, go through your episodes and all uh, the, or the episode that's being taped. When your final scene is done, the director will generally announce to everyone that, okay, everyone, D. Elliot Woods is wrapped. And they kind of give you a round of applause or whatever. And then and then they run away because they're not really interested. He actually came over to me, you know, gave me this big old bear hug, you know, <laughs> and it just felt like I was in the club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a cool experience. Yeah. 
And that's amazing too. Uh, uh, I wonder if he was aware that uh, you were also part of the Star Trek universe or if, no, I had I been uh, I I never brought it up. So if he knew, it never came up. Oh, that's, yeah, that's it, cool, it never man. came up because at that point, I think I'd only done one Star Trek thing. But then after that, I got you know two or three others. And I, I guess like uh, just kind of on the same note, I guess kind of what mm-hmm. I was saying, like you know, how do you feel about Star Trek? You know, that it has a positive message. I think we can all agree. But uh, kind of moving forward into just. Like, uh, I think a lot of people would argue that film and television and especially franchises uh, such as Star Trek have done more to influence society to progress than oftentimes than actual legal policy change has, you know, perhaps. I mean, one could argue, at least I'm not trying to say that 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 I'm 100 percent, you know, saying a fact here. No, I I think what uh, one I, I, I totally agree. And to add to it, I honestly think that uh, in many cases, if it doesn't, you know, it definitely affects people when when you're in a theater, you know, with the big, huge 40 foot screen and, you know, all of that. But when it's done right, if nothing else, it starts a conversation that, you know, it, it, it starts the ball rolling. And then if enough people get behind that, then it gets to the legal thing and the and the, the Senate and the House and all that stuff. And can actually change laws if it's a powerful enough message. Yeah, uh, you know, really inspire people. For certain, I've uh, I've seen films that have like moved me. Uh, went into it and like, and the film was so well made, and the uh, the message was, you know, it's not a lot of times it's, it's better if it's not overbearing. If the message is just conveyed through the actors and the dialogue and in the in the whatever, and like, and it it kind of gets gets to you through your heart rather than your mind. And I right. think that's why it can be so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I not, not trying to do a product tie in, but it's, it's the truth. There's actually that end because my, my next goal is to get rise of the unicorn funded, fully funded, and then uh, make a feature film out of it. But there's actually a message uh, in there that relates to all aspects of society. It's something that we all kind of go through, but well, I can't say what it is. All I can say is that I, we have normalized something that happens to the um, most vulnerable of us. We've normalized it so much that we don't even notice it. So yeah. I bring that up in the book. And again, as you said, once it becomes a movie, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll start some conversations and maybe we can change some things to help you know, all of those people. Also, like I said earlier, I'm very glad that I chose the audiobook version because right now I can so clearly see it uh, on the screen in my mind. You know, having having heard you having heard you kind of already act it uh, to a yeah. certain extent for me. <laughs> uh, like, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah, yeah. to say that. If, not not to say that if I had if I had read it on paper that I would be like. How is this a movie? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> this guy. He can't spell for shit. Yeah, what's his problem? Um, no, the um, it's interesting that you would take it that way. I, uh, but but to your point, when you hear how the author intended the words to sound, yeah, you know, as opposed to you left to your own devices, you might come up with a different reading of a particular sentence and not catch whatever the subtlety was that I was trying to convey. So, yeah, yeah th- this way it's like, okay, well, if I could see his face, I'd understand it better. But still, audibly, you y- you understand where I'm going with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say, uh, just to let's just kind of go back a little bit just about you. Uh, sure, man. I, you By know, the way, been... can I, let me interrupt real quick. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me on this show. I, I am really excited. I got to tell you, <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast. And I'm actually, I was a little nervous this morning and I never get nervous for for interviews. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, man. I I am. First of all, I'm beyond flattered because I was extremely excited for you to be on the show. And, uh, my, my morning was, uh, a little bit hectic. I'm, I'm still kind of a new dad. Uh, I know. Congrats. And I've, I've been learning more about you. I know that you're a father as well. So you kind of, you know what the new dad life is like. 
So, yeah, so you haven't slept in what six weeks? How how's oh, the baby? Oh, well, I'm I'm not that new. He's he's seven months old, but I okay. It's okay. still it still feels really new to me, man. I know people are like, "What are you complaining about, man?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not complaining. I'm not. I'm actually." It, it's just it shifts your life so much. Yeah, and you know, people say they understand, but you don't understand till you have one, or in my case, three. Yeah. Then then it's like, all right, well now now I know what everybody's. How come people say they're going to call you back? And then they never do because yeah. if they've got kids, man, it, it just takes over your whole whole life. I'm still trying to explain. I'm still trying to explain that to some of my friends that uh, that don't have kids. Like when when there's certain stuff I can't do, I'm like, well, I just can't. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh, but uh, I guess the old uh, dog would have done it. What's wrong? But uh, yeah, no, soft. This this morning because you know it's so so like let's say you know ten months ago I had a podcast. You know I was like. Yeah, I got I got two hours before this thing comes, you know, before uh, we're recording. I don't I'll do whatever I want. I'll leave the house. Right. And now I'm like, I've only got two hours. I've only got two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to sleep for an hour and 58 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. It's it's a trip. But congratulations. It's uh, it's a it's a life changer. And now, I, if nothing else, I know you know what love is if you didn't before. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's a teach. It's a it's a whole brand new different type of love too. when I yeah it's kind of a yeah it's kind of a cool gift like oh there's a, a a whole type of love I didn't even know existed you know yeah. it's a different different element different uh different depth but no man, man I man I'm always talking about my kid on this show let's, let's talk about you all right all right <laughs> uh going back a bit uh I found out you're from Indianapolis uh, uh-huh. home t- hometown of uh Kurt Vonnegut who's probably one of my probably most influential authors in my life I would have to say and I just wanted to like ask, man, are there like any authors for you that you'd say like influenced your worldview or inspired your creativity earlier in your life, like in, in your Indianapolis days? Kind of like when you, because like for me growing up, I was uh, Kurt Vonnegut was probably one of the first like grown up type authors I started reading, and right. I was like, oh, I want to write, I want to, you know, I want to do stuff like this. Oh, that's and, cool. And I was wondering no. if like if some if someone ever affected you that way. Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned Kurt Vonnegut. He actually, the, the, obviously not at the same time, but <laughs> he actually graduated from the same high school I did. So That's I was amazing. aware of him. And, uh, but I honestly didn't, I mean, I read what I had to read in school, but I wasn't as interested in reading. I hadn't developed that muscle yet. And I honestly got into reading through comic books of all things. Um and then probably towards the end of uh, the high school is when I started reading um, Toni Morrison. Um, man, uh, I, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, and I read, um, oh, started getting into James Baldwin. Uh, th- those two were kind of you know, the ones that opened up the door for me. I'm just like, oh, wow. And yeah. then, you know, by the time I got to college, is and then I started reading voraciously. I'd have five five books going at once, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Before children, see, this is what happens. Once you get kids, <laughs> you get one book, yeah. <laughs> one book maybe. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I used to read five or six books at a time. But uh, it actually came later for me. It's so funny you had mentioned that, man. Uh, this the the before and after with kids and how books are. Uh, yeah. yeah, I used to read about a book a week. And in the past seven months, I've read two books, and <laughs> and 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 uh, not, not including yours because I haven't even finished yours yet. Uh, so I'm hoping by the end of you know the next week, I'll have three books down. <laughs> Look at you doing stuff! Yeah, all right. Um, no, I, I totally get it. Totally get it. Uh, but yeah, going back, I actually I had a similar thing because comic books is how yeah that's kind of like that was my definitely like how I got into reading too is you know giant X Men fan above yeah. all else I don't know if there's like I really can't say that there's any other comic book franchise that comes close to X Men as far as like what I was obsessed with I've still got like probably three hundred X Men comic books just like packed oh. away <laughs> I got them in do, a box do, 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 do you have them in plastic and stuff Oh oh hell yeah they're gonna be worth you know, if I ever uh, come on hard times, man, I might be able to just go sell all my X Men. <laughs> man, I had uh, when I went to college, I had taken my comic books, stored them carefully into a grocery bag, 
put the grocery bag in the garage and I was like, okay, they'll be safe there. And didn't think about it for three years. And I came back to Indiana uh, when my mom was still there. And I went looking for these comic books. And not only had she thrown those away, she had also thrown away another bag full of Hot Wheels. With, with, either, with either bag, had I still had either bag, I could have bought a house. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you, were, oh, you like, were you like, Mom, you just threw away my first house? <laughs> it's just like, oh, you just, well, I just oh. thought it was trash. Like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Of course, of course, a mom would think it was trash. It looks like a bunch of old crappy old, comic yeah, books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old, old, old books. It's like, well, yeah, but anyway, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not bitter. Just thought yeah. I'd throw that out there. Speaking of, speaking of, uh, while you were away at college, you uh, you played ball in college, right? Yeah, played basketball. Uh, where, uh, where, where did you go to college? Uh, the Colorado College. It's a uh, the liberal arts college in Colorado Springs, and at the time there were eighteen hundred students, and now it's up to twenty two hundred. We're 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 growing. Oh, nice man! A nice small yeah. school. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was. It was. It was actually what I needed uh, because I did have a chance to go to school. You know, basketball and all that. Yeah. Um. But uh, where was it? Um. There was uh Minnesota. And then later on, Wyoming inquired as to whether or not I wanted to transfer, um, you know, for sports. Yeah. But there's something about uh, going to class and there's only, you know, 15 other people in the room. Yeah. Uh, at maximum size 20, as opposed to being in an auditorium. I still haven't figured out how people learn like that. I don't get that. I, I like the one on one with the teacher. Yeah. So my personality, I kind of needed that. Oh yeah, man. Uh, so did you go? Um, did you go there with the intention of studying like theater, uh, any of that kind of stuff, or was that no? Not, not, was yeah, that on your radar? As, as you <laughs> mentioned earlier, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. That especially when I was coming up, it was like uh, literally, boy, you better get you a good job. Yeah. That was planted in my head. Um, so I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, but I initially I assumed I'd come back to Indianapolis and I would get a job at, you know, one of the big plants or or, or companies there. And then once I got away from Indiana, I was like, OK, well, maybe I won't go back to Indiana. But I still it, it had been planted in my mind that I needed to get a good job. Um, so I stumbled into acting because I literally playing basketball. I had hurt one of my legs. And I was kind of moping around because, you know, I was going to be out for, uh, shit, two months or something like that. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I ended up picking a class. Oh, here's something unique about Colorado College. You take one class at a time for three and a half weeks. Oh, Um, nice. But in the three and a half weeks, you do a semester's worth of work on that particular course. So, like I said, I was looking for an easy class because I was moping around and I was hurt and I saw that there was going to be a visiting professor. And I'm like, OK, I, I can bully that person. And it was going to be an acting course. And I'm like, well, shit, how hard could that be? The visiting professor happened to be Alfre Woodard. And when I tell you she would not she would not let me sit in the back of the class, she wouldn't let me mope. She was on my ass on a regular basis, and I hated her. I hated her. But one of the things that we were supposed to do um, at the end of the block or the end of that that course, we had to put on a play that the whole uh, city, not just the people on campus, but the whole city would come to. And and I hated the practice. I hated the rehearsals. I hated uh, the directing part of it. Everything about it until the night of the performance. And when I tell you I walked out on stage to a packed house and I could literally feel the audience going on a journey with us. And I was like, oh, man, it's it's one of the few things outside of sports I'd ever done that felt like home immediately. Yeah. But 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 I didn't know it until I walked out on the stage opening night. Uh, and she has she was just such a. Um, a powerful figure um, and came at the right time in my life. Uh, that was when I got a thought that, you know, maybe, maybe I could do this. That's yeah. where it started. All right. Well, uh, thanks to her. Uh, 
Shout out, uh, what's her name again? Oh, Alfrey Woodard. Oh, you'd know her if you saw her. If you look her up on IMDb, you're gonna oh. be like, oh. oh. Okay, I'm gonna oh. I'm, I'm gonna feel like a fool later when I do look her up and go, oh shit. Yeah, you you might get some hate letters behind this one. I um, you know I do get a lot of hate letters. I'm not gonna lie. Nice. <laughs> no, we're actually gonna do a whole segment called uh, Doug responds to hate mail. It's gonna be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, awesome. But I'm I'm kind of curious, uh, just because you know I assume playing playing basketball, you're you're there's a crowd and they're watching you. Uh, does that like, does that kind of transfer? I mean, like, I know like getting on stage. So I, I guess uh, I kind of had an opposite experience. I, I went to a, an, an enormous school with like thousands okay. and thousands of students. And I, uh, I had a double minor and one of my minors was speech. Okay. So I was able to take an acting class and get a cre- and get credit toward my minor. Uh, but what uh, got me was uh, that was the first time like that I got put on a stage in front of a, you know, group of people to like recite mm-hmm. some lines. And I was mm-hmm. like, Whoa, this is uh this is a little bit frightening or it, it was, it was a weird experience. I, did, I didn't actually know I had any kind of stage fright because I've also been in a, a lot of bands, I've been on stage a lot, but it's acting's a different, different vibe. You're not, you can't hide behind a instrument or a microphone. You're just right there. It's you. And right. it's like, and it's like, yeah. So I don't, did you have any, or, or did you like, just like fish to water, man? You, how, how uh, it was fish to water that time. I think the only time it started getting weird, it wasn't so much audiences. It was cameras that I had to get used to. Oh, yeah. um, you, you know, when somebody I know, you know, we're audio and nobody can see this. So I'm just going to try to describe it. But when you have something coming towards you and, you know, if you really start thinking about it, it's like, OK, well, through that lens, there might be a million people that see this. And then you start playing these games inside of your head. Yeah. Uh, that's That was a bigger challenge for me than performing in front of uh, you know, a group of people. And it could have been because of basketball. Um, and, but most of the time it's because you, if you're really into the game or into the performance, if you're really into it, you don't hear anything else. You, you actually shut that out. But uh, yeah, the camera was more of a, an obstacle for me than audiences were. One of my uh, favorite scenes regarding this uh, was from the the television show Thirty Rock, when uh, yes. Alec Baldwin's character Jack Donaghy it's, a, it's like his first time on camera, and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what to, he doesn't know what to do with his hands, so they give him a coffee cup. And then he doesn't know what to do with his other hand. So they give him another cup. So he has two coffee cups and then he forgets how to walk. And so he, so he's like a kind of robot walking across the stage, holding two coffee cups because the camera is freaking him out so bad. I just, I don't know. You just, you put that, that uh, image that, back. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And, and like I said, if you start doing mental gymnastics in your head about, oh my God, everybody in Indianapolis can see this or whatever, then it's like, okay, let's, Let's bring it home, bring it back, settle yeah. down. Yeah, get this cat some medication. You know, I've I've got to visit Indianapolis sometime. I I have a couple friends from there. You ever go to the uh, the the big that big uh, Indianapolis five hundred race? I did. I used to when I was really young, probably six or seven. We'd go out and watch the uh, the practice runs. You know, the week before the the race itself. I'm not sure. I don't think I ever went to an actual race, but I went to the practices. Probably eight, eight, ten times. Oh, yeah. I would have gone to, I I was in the, when I was a kid, we used to get monster truck rallies here in Nashville all the time. And I love that. Like nowadays, I think I would, I would hate it. I think I would be like, this is too loud. I want to leave. But when I was a kid, you know, like (laughs) they got the pickup truck shooting fire out the back, crushing cars. I was like, this is the big tires and everything. (laughs) Well, look here, dad. Don't forget that little fella there. He's going to be wanting to go. So you will be going back. Trust me. Well, that's the great part is I'm going to relive all the stuff, man. I'm going to be like back to monster truck rallies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're back there again, Disneyland or Disney world. They're, they're going to get you. So don't fight it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not fighting it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, this is all stuff I'm looking forward to. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's just, just kind of a, just like a off the top of the head question, you know, you know, huh. uh, without thinking about it too hard. Um, I know, cause I, your IMDB is crazy, man. Like I didn't even bother trying to like start <laughs> adding some of that in in the beginning of the bio, but without thinking about it that much, like 
what was the role that you think you probably had the most fun uh, performing as an actor? Just like that you like were like, man, I really, really enjoyed that. The most fun. Ooh, good one. Um, probably Ballers. Um, they let me go crazy. Uh, the, the, most of the time in television, you have to stick word for word to the script. And uh, there were some things that, that I had. A, I was a, a character. Um, hell, I can't think of his name right now. But anyway, he was a low level drug dealer, uh, hustler, smart mouth, you know, that kind of thing. So long story short, there was the scripted dialogue. And I always did the scripted dialogue, but they let me put in everything else that I felt like I wanted to add to the character. And um, they didn't, they didn't uh, use all of the stuff, but it was, it was just a blast to be able to be free and, you know, be who you really think this character is. I, I think that was probably the most, the most fun I've had. And speaking of crowds, uh, a lot of time there were crowds because we were shooting that one, uh, at least part of an episode down in Long Beach. And yeah. so a lot of people from the neighborhood were there, the camera crew, the producers, there were all these people. And so when I'm throwing in these ad libs, a lot of the stuff they couldn't use because the crowd would start laughing at some of the stuff I was saying. <laughs> so that was, yeah. And it's like, well, there's not supposed to be a crowd here. Why is there laughter? You know, that kind of yeah. deal. But uh, yeah, that that was a blast. That's awesome, man. You were, you were cracking up the crowd, cracking up the, the crew. That's got to feel good, yeah. man. That's got to feel yeah, really good. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> then later on you find out you've got something in your nose the whole time or something. It's like, <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's what they were laughing at. That that must be a thing that happens sometimes where you just, uh, you have a take and you were like, that was it. I fucking nailed it. And then yeah. they're like, the director's like, hey, you got to do that again. And you're, then you're like, why? <laughs> Is that well? The, you know what's the either that the, the other one that that hurts is, uh, and it depends on your position in the show. Like you know, obviously, if you're not a series regular, uh, we were talking about you know Captain Kirk earlier. Let's say you're in a scene with Captain Kirk, and there's this back and forth dialogue that you two have. The audience and and the producers really only care what James Kirk thinks. You're just there to deliver information. So you might have this this one take where the tear came down, you know, on one one tear down the side of the face and everything else. And it was letter perfect. And then when you see it on TV, they show it from the back of your head. Oh, no, <laughs> because they're looking at James Kirk. It's murder. It's oh, murder. Yeah. Well, I can I can imagine just. That that would be devastating to me if I was like if I was like yeah man I I just I was with on I was with James T Kirk I nailed it and then they show it and it's like the back I of my head it could it. be it could be anybody it could be anybody like no one's even gonna know it was me <laughs> <laughs> with your voiceover that's it yeah. it's like yeah and they you know they show your face every now and then but they were more interested in how Kirk felt about what you were saying than what you said yeah man. It's like there's so many pitfalls I don't, you know, I don't even think about. Um, all right, let's get a little more kind of into like the uh, the maybe tough stuff, tough question type things. And I think okay. uh, um, I think you maybe have uh, mentioned in the past some things about how you uh, I think we're talking about lived experience. And I think. Uh, yes. Well, I guess what I what I ask is. uh how would you describe how lived experience informs your work as a creator and as an actor, you know, as an author of all, all of the, all of the work that you do? It informs performance and also how as a writer, not just what you write, but how it's written. Um, because the goal is for me is not for people to look at me. It's, the goal is for my performance to affect the people that are watching or in the case of, you know, writing uh, it's to affect the reader or the listener or even the viewer. When you're talking about television in terms of how you're, you're delivering, you know, the stuff. If when you're rehearsing, if it doesn't like, I, I honestly, like I'll, you know, learn my lines or whatever, 
But when it's time for me, once I get the, the words down, I literally will look in the mirror and I will say the words to the guy in the reflection. And obviously I'm looking at the reflection. And so I'm looking to see if it looks true. It looks and sounds true to me. Yeah. And I know that if if it looks and sounds true to me, then I know it's going to play for the camera. Uh, the harder one is, like you said, is is for the book because you can read it and do whatever. But it's like, yeah, but how are people going to take this? Uh, yeah. It's 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 a different it's a different set of muscles. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, it's, it's like the basketball thing. It's like if you're really focusing on playing the game, then you don't hear all the other stuff. Um, it's the same thing with performance and it's the same thing with writing. Yeah. So I that's the best way I can describe it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that <clears throat> that, uh, that totally made sense. And I also I feel like maybe I could have phrased that into two two separate questions, because obviously, you know, let's say like rewinding back to the beginning of our conversation we're talking about uh, playing a Klingon on Star Trek and, you know, how does your own personal lived, yeah. lived experience necessarily relate to you're playing an alien, but, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, he has, he has feelings, he has emotions, he's, you know, uh, he has a, a life story. So, I mean, you can, I can definitely see how you add that in. You're like, how is it, how is this a real character? You know, how do I make this guy real? And then, I can see also what you're saying with the book. Okay, now I got you. Well, I guess when you said with the book, it's more like then you're you're really you're digging deep into your own mind to find all because the book is you. You like the book comes completely from you. Completely, yeah, yeah. The and and the thing with the characters, there's also they tell you, okay, this guy is a um, he's nervous. He has a he's not drunk now, but he drinks a lot, you know, so you get a set of, you know, things that they want you to convey. So sometimes it's not necessarily a lived experience where you bring that up. But, you know, everybody's got the drunk uncle. Um, I literally have played a character like a person that I know. Yeah. And, and, and had their mannerisms and characteristics to the character that I'm playing because maybe I don't have that set of experiences, but Lord knows I've seen it. So, yeah. you know, you, you pull from everything. That's almost a little bit of a, a little bit of like a method acting technique. Am I, am I right? Or I, I could be off base. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it is. It is to a degree. Now I'm not like 100% a method actor, but there are times when, for example, the, we were laughing about the Klingon thing. The, that was the one time I, I was killed in a Star Trek project uh, you know, I've got some friends that are, you know, 100% method. And when they die on screen, they lay down and they feel the cold coming in. And, you know, the, the, the world is getting dark and, you know, they have all that on their face. Me, yeah. I just lay there, close my eyes and don't breathe. But yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's what I did. But, you know, there, it, whatever gets you to the truth or whatever looks true is 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 the goal yeah and I'm, I'm sure you know there's a time and place for method acting and like sometimes like that's that is really what's called for and sometimes like like you said you know yes uh you, your job is to fall down and die uh as the viewer i don't need to know that you're truly experiencing a death like uh <laughs> like that in, that in your mind you're experiencing this terrifying thing while you're just lying on the ground looking dead I I don't know. I mean, right? Maybe I'm maybe I'm gonna get some hate mail for that for some people that are like, no, method acting is the only way. You probably will. <laughs> you probably will. The, all the method actors are lining up outside of the studio right now. Um, <laughs> no, there, there's you know, as far as the end result, you know, you don't need to know all that. I don't think. But if there's going to be a fall or you know, he dies after giving this speech then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need to feel that differently than, you know, the guy that just lays on the floor and doesn't, doesn't move. Um, but it's, it's what the material calls for. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of before I, before I go to the next thing, I'm just, I'm suddenly reminded of a, another anecdote that I just want to share uh, that I learned about the movie Mad Max Fury Road. Um, and 
Okay. There's, there's a guy, he has no lines. His uh, his job is to be on the front of a semi-truck. He plays a guitar that shoots fire. And that's all he does is he plays guitar <laughs> that shoots fire. That's that what it's, right. it's very cin- cinematically, like visually, very, very cool. Uh, you know, and like audibly very, very cool. I mean, like or sonically, very, very cool. But other than that, this character has no name. I'm I don't I don't know what he's credited as, maybe guitar player. Uh, but I found out uh-huh. later on that the actor had created like years of backstory for this character and had, you know, method acted that like had had prepared for that role in such an intense way that you never ever would have anticipated someone would do for such a role. So yeah, I guess yeah. it's, it's your yeah. own personal choice because you know if, if if that makes the uh the project more enjoyable for you or more real for you than then by all means, right? Well, definitely that. And the other thing too, is that if, you know, he could have just phoned it in and, and just played the guitar and maybe it would have worked, but that maybe the preparation is what got him over worrying about what the camera was doing. What I described earlier about, you know, how the camera can make you feel sometimes. Uh, If I, I think it's, whatever you have to do to get to the truth and or get to a place where you are just in the game and you are playing the game, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, that's how he had to, to get it done in order to, you know, be on the front. What's funny. He was in the trailers, right? Yeah. For that movie. And that's that, that uh, I knew immediately who you were talking about um, because, you know, he got down yeah. without a word. And, and he's a memorable guy, just like the kid that plays the banjo in um, Deliverance. <laughs> he said nothing, but he played those little three chords, yeah. and he wore that role out. But but you can see his face. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just unique. So you know, however you can get to the truth, man. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And actually, I love the way you said that. However, you get to the truth, because yeah, to thinking back on it now for a character that has no lines to be mm-hmm. by far one of the most memorable characters from the film. There's something behind that, but Hey, let's enough about Mad Max Fury road. Let's talk about rise of the unicorn. I really want to talk about it some more. Uh, hey, do you want to like uh, kind of start this with like uh kind of an elevator pitch description and then we can go from there just so like give people like a, a nice little baseline of what the movie or what the book's about. Okay, well, let's see. First off, I um, everybody has seen movies with negotiators, so on and so forth. So before I get pitched, I just want to let everybody know that chapter one literally starts in, in a world that you have already seen on the movie screen and everything else. And I did that intentionally because I wanted people to assume that they knew how this was going to go. Yeah. Uh, now, the elevator pitch. Rise of the Unicorn is about a negotiator that comes upon a failed bank robbery turned hostage crisis. Uh, there, there's a terrorist group inside of the bank, uh, and there are 30-some-odd hostages inside of the bank, and he's there to free the hostages. Um, however, halfway through, he realizes that he is the actual target. I'm not, oh. And then he has to figure out why he's the target yeah. and what is it that they really want in order to get these people out. While the entire world watches because of social media, you know how the crowds always gather, uh, you know, at these scenes like, oh, and the looky loose. OK, yeah. so you've got a whole crowd of people that are texting, tweeting, Instagramming. And so literally the whole world ends up watching this story unfold so there you go and and i can't tell you what it's about because then it kills all the other plot twists elliot i have to say that uh i i need to learn i you you need to do like a a class on elevator pitches because i struggle so hard to do an elevator pitch for any any kind of project i'm ever working on even this podcast i can't even tell people what this podcast is like in a very efficient way you know i do my best (laughs) But I feel like I said something, <laughs> you know, uh, the the way you just elevator pitched the book to me just now, I was like, that was extraordinary. And you could have said that in an elevator, you know, that 
If you were going to the seventeenth floor, man, sometimes I, could have, you could have said that honestly on on the way to like the eighth floor if you just kind of talked fast. <laughs> yeah, talk fast and look look real aggressive. Look, you fucking better listen to me, sir. Yeah. Oh man, no, thank you, thank you. Um, um, yeah, but um, it, it's taken a while to get to this point. I, I'll put it that way. It's, it's not something that just rolls off my tongue that way because such an involved story. It's like, yeah. okay, well, do I talk about this? Well, if I talk about that, it's going to give away the plot. And, you know, yeah. so you kind of find your way with it. So you're telling me that wasn't your first elevator pitch? The, not not for that project. Now, <laughs> if you ask me about the, the book that I'm working on now, I'll be like, uh, well, they were <laughs> in love. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. Yeah. Once upon a time. Right? Like, you ever no, never notice how uh, people fall in love? All right, imagine a whole book uh, with other stuff. Sorry, I'm rambling. All right, but I want to talk about this. Uh, so as far as I've gotten through, uh, I love the characters. I think I said that in the beginning. Uh, and a lot of that, too, is uh, your performance of the characters. But obviously, I would you know, I would love them on the written page as well. How how did you develop your characters for the book? Like, you, you developed the, uh, the police chief. The negotiator, even uh, kind of more minor characters like the the domestic dispute in the beginning, are these like did, mm-hmm. you, draw, did you draw this from from real life or like I, or there were some a few things that I've actually seen in real life. Um, the way my mind works, uh, you know, everybody goes through challenges, you know, in their life. That's why we're here. Um, so there's some things that I experienced, you know, from as a kid, a young adult, you know, so on and so forth. But I've also always been very, because of, you know, some child abuse stuff, I was what they call hyper aware. I um, would walk into rooms and subconsciously I would scan the room and I could tell you where if there was going to be a problem, I could tell you who was going to cause it because I, I was, you know, that that sensitive. Um, And so some things are from things that I experienced. Some are from me watching other people and the impact that some of the foolishness that we do to each other, the impact that it has on us. And I am always looking for ways to fix the problem or stop the threat. And so I was literally sitting in the bank. um, I was actually fixing up, getting ready to fix up the house. And I was there to get a home loan, uh, you know, for, you know, for remodeling and everything else. And I was sitting in the middle of a bank lobby uh, waiting for the personal banker. And it hit me that the bank and money, it was the perfect metaphor for this issue that I bring up in the book. Yeah. And so then I sat there (laughs) and I literally looked around the bank and I reverse engineered how to rob it in a plausible way. Wow. And yeah. And so that that that's how the idea came. The characters come for me is once I have the basic structure of the story, uh, the characters come like I was saying before, you know, the the you get to the truth however you can. Yeah. Literally, as I'm writing, another character will pop up that will help me get through a, a particular block that I'm having with the scene. Why I can't get through this. Well, how come? Well, because you need a guy that walks in and does such and such. Ah, okay. And the dialogue comes easy. Yeah. You know, what they say comes easy is what they do. That is sometimes a problem for me. Yeah. yeah. And a lot, a lot of it feels real too. Like the, uh, uh, there's a, a kind of a custody uh, battle type dispute going on between one of the main characters and a character uh, that is kind of off screen or I guess off. Yeah. That's, pa- off that, that's, that's just life. And it's just but, life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's life stuff. Um, but what's crazy is what's the best way to put that? It between chapter one, the scene that you're talking about, it's like through watching him live his life, you learn who he is without me saying, Gus is a really nice guy. Yeah, he is a divorced <laughs> father. It's like you actually get to see it and feel what he's going through. And then that explains why he is acting the way that he acts later on, because his day started off, you know, way over here in left field. Yeah. So 
Yeah, they, uh, they always say as, as a writer, you should show it, not tell it. And yeah. so that's that's what that stuff's about. Yeah, you do, you do a good job, too, of uh, of not just right off the jump being like, he's the hero. He did nothing wrong. Because I think there's a line from like maybe his captain, someone who's because he's having he's he's like, I need to get uh, I need to get on my Skype call or something to, to talk to my kid. And she's like, what did you do? Like, yeah, what did what did what did you do? Yeah, yeah. Why, why is, is- why is it your fault that uh right you only get to see your kid on Skype? Uh but and I guess that's maybe something else I, I wanted to ask is like uh what do you hope readers will take away from the book besides just enjoying the book itself? You know, because it's it is it's it's a suspense uh thriller, it's a mystery, so it's fun. But uh mm-hmm. you know, there's some underlying themes and messages, and I know we're not trying to spoil anything, but maybe what what you what you can share without giving away too much. Um well, it's, it's kind of like what we said earlier. And honestly, I can't talk about it because if I say it, then you're going to be like, oh, that's where this is going. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, all I can say is, one, I I want people to really enjoy the ride. But when they see how collectively what we do in every race. So this is not a it's not a black thing. White. It's it's like this is what we do as a people. I, what I'm really hoping is that it starts a conversation that turns into, you know, legislation or fodder for the political groups, uh, you know, and they'll use it to get elected or whatever. I don't care as long as we fix, you know, this problem as a society. Yeah, I, I'm just hoping that it's part of a conversation starter, you know, that smarter people and and people in politics and all of that can then take the ball and run with it. But I like I said, it's it's so normalized in our society. Everybody just accepts it. Uh, the, the the stuff that happens that we do to one another, and it affects us. I just you know, it would be nice to see that begin to change. It's like we said earlier when we were talking about uh, uh, film, television, novels, how that changes society, like in a way that. Like oftentimes, yeah, a politician doesn't have the power to do that because a politician Correct. doesn't have doesn't have the power to reach in and affect the way you feel inside the way right. a novel can or a movie can. Right. Uh, and and that's why I'm really pushing to get this, you know, up to the big screen, because, you know, there's there's a, a niche group of people in America and around the world that read, but a lot more watch movies. Yeah. Uh, and if this has an impact of um, what are some of my movies here? Um, well, I, I like all kinds of movies. So but, you know, everything from the round midnight, goodwill hunting, um, r- whiplash. Oh, the, <laughs> the, 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 have you seen that one? I haven't. That's the, about the drummer. Yes. I haven't seen the, that. OK, you need to stop, do, not not stop doing what you're doing. But after we're done, you go to Netflix and look at that one. Yeah, um, I, I love I love J.K. Simmons. So I think I'll enjoy that. Yeah, he's a beast, man. Um, but even Citizen Kane, Imitation of Life, the old movies, yeah. you know, all of that stuff informs us and makes us feel a certain way. And like you said, it's a great seed planter. And people sometimes literally walk out of movie theaters cha- changed about particular issues. I'm yeah. hoping that something like that would happen with this. I have a I have another question about the book, and I'm because I'm not far enough in. I don't know if maybe this is a spoiler, uh, a, like a, a spoiler type question. So if it is, we'll just leave it alone. If it's not, then I'm just very very curious. Uh, how did okay. you come up come up with the title of the book? Why is it called Rise of the Unicorn? Um, unicorns uh, are supposedly don't exist Um, but when we're children we believe in unicorns because you know we haven't accepted all of the no's that the world tells us about you know later and eventually you get to a place where you don't believe in unicorns anymore because you've never seen one in person well, but and yet the word remains. Uh, it's it's about being different than how we walked into the situation. And if you really get the message, chances are you're going to want to adjust yourself and you're going to be the weird one in a group of people. 
but then you actually become the unicorn. That's the best way I can describe it. All right. I love that. I love that description, especially because uh, I am often the weird one in a group of people, and I don't mind that at all. <laughs> well, the, honestly, the, we, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we we all should be the weird ones, but we are so concerned with what other people think and, you know, what, what our parents taught us and, you know, all these things that we eventually get in lockstep and we all start moving the same. And that's fine if it's something that's good for everybody. But if it's not, somebody's got to fucking say something. Yeah. Or, or do something different because otherwise we're going to end up marching off of a cliff together. Yeah. Yeah. And man, like in the times we live in right now, man, couldn't have been, couldn't have been said better. And well, actually, I guess what I, what I want to say is, uh, I guess kind of, kind of, kind of here at the end is, uh, I do have one last question. It's going to be the most important one, but I do want to say I am loving this book so far. I'm actually so excited to go put my headphones on and finish it. Cause now I just, I, you've built it up even more because you know, I'm, I'm only to chapter five. So I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta know. Cause that's actually, that's why when I, I was concerned about asking you about the title, cause I was wondering if there might be some line in the, in the book where that's like, you know, you're not supposed to know that until later on. That's what I was going to say. But my question is Elliot, okay. where, where can people find you, follow you? Where can they check out your book? Uh, uh, you know all all the good stuff any other projects you have going on uh if you could just share everything okay uh well let's see let's do it in reverse order projects going on well okay the strike is finally over which is good um well it, and at least until we have this ratification vote uh and i'm hopeful um but i've man i've been getting a ton of appointments and uh and auditions um and there's one thing I'm dying to tell you about, but now they've got this stuff set up so much that you have to do all these NDAs. Oh, no. You can't say shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I have stuff happening, but I can't tell you. So there's that. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, ho hopefully you guys get really excited about nothing because I can't tell you a damn thing. I'm excited um, about it. Whatever it, whatever it may be. I will tell you that. Yeah, well, it's, it's 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 a good one. So I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful for that, you know, fully coming to fruition. If you're uh, in it, I will watch it. Find me. All right. Well, let's see. As far as um, how to find me, I'm pretty easy to find. My name is spelled D uh, period. And Elliot is E-L-L-I-O-T and Woods, obviously, W-O-O-D-S. But the D. Elliot Woods in pretty much uh, without the period, but all one word uh, in, let's see, Twitter, Instagram. I have a TikTok account, but I it's that's not for me. I just it's too much. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think it's the same on Facebook as well. So that's how to find me. And offshoots of that are um, uh, unicorns rise up on all of those platforms. Um, so plural unicorns rise up, uh, if you are interested in particular in what's going on with the rise of the unicorn, I just call it a project because I've written the script, written the book, done the audio book. And so now the next step is, like I said, to turn that into a feature film, uh, using some of my more famous friends and, um, let's see what else is going on. I'm sorry. You asked me one other, one other question and I lost it. Uh, asked where can people find you, follow you? Uh, where can they find your book? Ah, the uh, book. The book is literally on every major platform. Um, Barnes and Noble, uh, Walmart. I mean, it's, it's the book is everywhere. However, the audio book is only on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Uh, so if you're an if you're an audio book person, those are the only three outlets for that. But as far as either written or ebook, you can pretty much go anywhere that you normally shop and you will find Rise of the Unicorn there. And I highly, I highly recommend you do. I'm enthralled. Uh, <laughs> Elliot, man. Um, well, hopefully gotta... you'll call me up and, and go, oh, my God, that, that's the reaction I usually get, because, like I said, the way I set it up. Everybody thinks they know, you know, how this is going to go. It's oh, this is going to be a standard procedural. And it's like, well, yeah, until chapter eight. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, OK, got it. 
I mean, I could already feel the vibe changing pretty fast. At first, I was like, okay, cool. Like, police drama, whatever type yeah. thing. And then I was like, okay, turning into, like, some pretty, like, high-tech heist. And then you're like, and you're and you're like, oh, but you don't even know what's going on. And I was like, so, no. like, I, like I said, no. oh, man, I can't wait to find out. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on my Views Around podcast, man. It's been an absolute pleasure to finally meet you and finally get to speak to you. Doug, I'm honored to be here, man, and I I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm a little disappointed that that, that it's done. Can can we talk for another hour? Would that be all right? We we could, <laughs> but uh, I have to, I have to go get my kid from his mom, or I'm going to be in big trouble. So yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Well, take care of that little fellow, man. But thank you so oh. much. Uh, and hey, uh, have a fantastic weekend, man. All right, brother. You too. Bye.